Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today are our Head of Sports, special guest appearance from David Prentice. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Also with me is Echo reporter Christian Walsh. Hi, Ian. And also on the line, live from Hong Kong, it's our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and very much away, Jane Spears. Hiya, Jay. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, a bit, bit hot and sweaty, but um, I, won't, I won't give you the full details. <laughs> no, don't, don't. <laughs> so what, what's been going on over there? I mean, we're, we're speaking the day after Liverpool booked their place in the final of the Premier League Asia Trophy, and it was a decent performance in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think all things considering, I mean, I think probably they approached the game with a little bit of dread, having you know not really trained properly during their time out here. You know, absolutely torrential rain the first couple of days. They'd have to move training indoors. They then had to do running on the athletics track because they couldn't find any grass that wasn't waterlogged to actually train on. Um, so yeah, and I, you know, all things considering, I think it was a it was a very good performance. Um, more kind of intensity and, and tempo to it than we've seen in the first two games in the UK. Um, and yeah, deserved winners against against the Crystal Palace team that they've obviously had their problems with in in recent years. So uh, yeah, some big. Big pluses, obviously. You know, one one key one was Dominic Solanke getting off the mark for his his new club. Um, Salah again, you know, showing that that blistering pace and the extra dimension he's going to give to the attack. Um, and I thought Joe Gomez was another big positive for his his defensive performance in the first half. I mean, what's the reception been like that Liverpool's players have got over there? Because obviously Hong Kong's quite a you know. They've got an awful lot of supports over there. I mean, I went 10 years ago and they were, they were quite fanatic. Are they still or as fanatic or are they even more so now? Yeah, I mean, it is fanatical. I think it's different to other parts of Asia that have been, been uh, with Liverpool in. I think you know, it's not quite as as, as 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 fanatic as, say, someone like Jakarta or, or Bangkok. I think, I think the, the people in general are probably a little bit more reserved. I think you could, you could sense that at the stadium last night. It was like, you know, there was there was lots of ooing and ahhing and polite applause, and it wasn't. You know, it was, I remember in Indonesia um, back in 2013, it was, you know, it was akin to a Champions League final atmosphere. It was it was so crazy. So it's, I wouldn't say it's quite on that level, but you know, you you still sense that passion. And you know, I think what what struck me most about the game last night was uh, that there was four Premier League teams in action, um, yet you know. 99.9% of those present were, were wearing red and had come to see one team and one team only. And you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the LFC merchandise stores were doing a, a roaring trade. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, Liverpool's pulling power at this part of the world is, is absolutely immense. Jay, quite an interesting thing for me during the game. I mean, I know a lot of people are highlighting on Solanke and Salah for obvious reasons. But, you know, Joe Gomez, um, given... Liverpool's problems, shall we say, in the transfer market, uh, trying to enlist central defensive cover so far. Is he ready yet uh, to actually play a prolonged period of first-team football, if required, when the season starts? Yeah, I think that's the real dilemma for Klopp. On, and I think that's why he, he hasn't rushed into a decision in terms of where Joe Gomez is going to play his football this season. Because Brighton have been desperate to take him on a season-long loan there and, you know, there's been various other offers on the table as well, but Liverpool have resisted all of those because I think Klopp wanted to assess him because you know, he's had he's had a really tough two years. When you think you know two years ago he was you know he enjoyed that dream start to his Liverpool career and then rupturing his ACL and even though he got back in January you know he he, he was still nowhere near the level he was at before. But 
yeah, I, I thought, you know, for the first time in that friendly against Palace, I thought, you know, that was that was the Joe Gomez that we'd seen glimpses of during the first couple of months of his Liverpool career. And you do wonder whether he has given Klopp food for thought, you know, whether he, he, he can have a part to play if he stays put. I think I think just in the, in the back of Klopp's mind, what he'd be wary of, I, I think he wouldn't want to keep Joe Gomez this season. And then if, if he doesn't think he's going to play, because I think having missed so much football, he, he just wants to ensure that, that he gets regular regular action. And if, you know, if that's not going to be in the first team at Liverpool, then he'd be, he'd be better off getting that on loan at somewhere like Brighton. Tell you what interests me over the past two games, Jay, and I know that it's only pre-season and always comes with that caveat, but Ben Woodburn has essentially played as a central midfielder. Um, I mean, he, I thought he was very good against Wigan. We were both there. You were obviously there last night. Do you see that as a long-term option for Liverpool this season, or do you think he's just trying something a little bit different? Yeah, I think it was it was interesting actually. Because Klopp was asked about it after the game, and you know, it was it was interesting what he had to say. You know, he said he said that he thinks that Woodburn, you know, still being a teenager is far too early. He said to pigeonhole him in in one position, and he said, you know, he said he's that he's that intelligent uh, a kid that he. He, he wants to see him play in different roles and, and see how he and see how he adjusts to it. And yeah, I, I agree. I think he's taken to it really well. And you know, he is. You, you do. I mean, you obviously, we've obviously seen him play in those central areas uh, in, in kind of youth level where he can really dictate play. And nothing nothing phases him whatsoever, does it? I think we saw that in the senior outings he made he made last season. And yeah, I think you know, I think he will be an option. I, you know, I, I think. It's obviously there's there's big competition there um, as it is this season, but yeah, I mean you only had to hear Klopp speak about Woodburn last night to see that he's he's going to have a, a, a massive part to play this season because uh, you know when you when you think there's been a lot of young players who have been linked with potential loan moves away, but there's you know there's absolutely zero chance that Woodburn's going anywhere because uh, Klopp absolutely loves him and he you know he knows he's got a gem on his hands there and is is loving working with him. Now, James, you might be on the, the other side of the world, but there's no getting away from the transfer speculation that we're, we're all having to cope with here on Merseyside. Uh, what can you tell us about Navi Keita? Where are Liverpool in terms of that particular move? Um, <laughs> well down the line, then. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously, the, the I think the, the second bid, that, that we're getting rejected completely out of hand is that, in the way it, it in the way it has done is is a blow because I think there was a feeling that you know obviously what the first one bid was fifty seven million I think when it went back in at sixty six million um, you know I think there was a feeling that you know hopefully that would get things going and then they would be able to negotiate but for Leipzig you know their stance just hasn't changed they're, they're absolutely adamant he he's going nowhere and now they've got a, you know they've got a dilemma on their hands you know you know how you know how also you know how much higher can you actually go because you know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge sum of money for someone who you know cost Leipzig 15 million euros a year ago. Um, you know when you think Liverpool Liverpool had broke their transfer record last month, and you know that was just under 37 million. So you know, you, 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 we're suddenly reaching almost double what their what the transfer record is. Um, so you know from 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 people I've spoken to here, I, you know the, the message seems to be that the Liverpool are going to. You know, take their time, mold, mold this over. I think it'll be early next week once they're back in the UK um, that they have, they'll make a decision on whether they do go back in with a third bid or whether they walk away. And 
and look at and look at other options. I know I know there was some some speculation during the rounds that Naby Keita's agent had actually flown out to Hong Kong for talks with Liverpool about how best to try and take this forward because obviously we know that Keita is desperate to sign for the club. But um, you know, I, I, uh, I I've been around the team hotel and I certainly haven't seen him. And <laughs> anyone I've spoken to is is uh, not aware that there's there's any sign of Keita's agent here. And to be honest, it wouldn't make any sense for him to be here because. You know, let's be honest. Getting a deal in place between Kaiser and Liverpool isn't the issue here. It's it's very much the the issue is between Liverpool and and Leipzig. And um, you know, and, and I think the other big thing to say is that Michael Edwards, the sporting director, is in is in Liverpool. You know, he's 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 based. He's not come out on the tour. He's in the UK, obviously conducting the various ins and outs at the moment with, with Andy Robertson having his medical, and and obviously Kevin Stewart potentially going the uh, the other way. So. Um, so no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't really make any sense for for Kaita's representatives to to come out here. And it's, it, yeah, I wouldn't like to say what's what what happens next with that. But um, it's it's certainly not been not been good news on that front. I mean, are we approaching the point? I mean, Jurgen Klopp's been very laid back about it all and relaxed. But are we approaching the point soon where Liverpool will have to look at these alternative options because they can't keep you know waiting for him forever, can they? Yeah, I, I think I think definitely. I think. You know, I think next week would would have to be the time when when you know if they would have to say right enough's enough. You know, do we make one third and final offer, or do we walk away? Because I think the other big thing is, although the window is obviously open to the end end of August, I mean, the start of this season for Liverpool is just absolutely huge with that that Champions League qualifier. I mean, everything they worked for last season is riding on those those, those two legs of the playoffs. So they, they they just they, you know they they need to need to get the, the team that Klopp wants together. You know they've got a training camp in Germany next week, which is going to be you know really really important in terms of the the pre-season build-up. So yeah, I, I don't think they can leave it any longer than that. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's it, it's it's very clear that you know he's, he he desperately wanted a, a, a centre midfielder and a, and a centre half. And and it's also very clear at the moment that he he looks increasingly unlikely to get the. Uh, get the, the, the two that he uh, specifically wanted. I mean, Naby Keita obviously seems to be the one that's, uh, you know, grabbing the headlines all the time, and understandably so, because he's, like, such a good player. But he plays in a position in the field where Liverpool are quite well catered for. Isn't central defence the absolute priority? And doesn't he need to do something about that as a matter of urgency? I mean, I know it's only pre-season, but you look at the goal he conceded at Wigan, and, you know, exactly the same old problem, a ball knocked into the box, not defended well. I mean, is there any sign yet that Dejan Lovren and Joel Matip are going to be, you know, fitter this season and able to get through a, a prolonged period of fixtures without getting injured again? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good it's a good point. I, I, you know, 100% a centre back, in my opinion, is much more important than another centre midfielder. I think it, it was interesting. We were at a fan event with Sammy Hippio here earlier, and, and he was asked about the centre back situation, and he was adamant that the Liverpool don't need to go and buy <laughs> another one. He, he thinks that. He thinks that the four they've got in, you know, in obviously Gomez and Clavin as, as backups to Lovren and Matip is sufficient. That's and he, the centre backs union there. <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, he talked about the um, the partnership that Lovren and Matip struck up and the understanding of last season, which which he's right. You know, I thought they did. The, the problem was they just didn't play together enough times, and and that's the thing. You know, can you count on them to to stay fit? You know, when you think you know Jamie Carragher would miss five games over seven or eight seasons, you know, whilst Lovren and Matip missed far, far too much football 
last year. So, you know, that, that's the big concern for me. Because, and I think the other, the other interesting thing so far in pre-season is that Matip and Lovren haven't actually played alongside each other. I mean, the various combinations he's gone with, they've always, they've always you know, one's played one half, one's played the other, um, which, which, is, which, is, which is a bit odd as well. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I fear that Liverpool are still far too light in, in that department because, just simply because of, of I, I don't think you can count on Matip and Lovren um, to stay fit for the season ahead, especially with the extra demands of European football thrown into the schedule. I know he's not exactly going to get the pulses racing at the minute, but Andrew Robertson, I know you're all the way over there, but we expect him to have a medical today um, on Merseyside. I mean, it, that's important, isn't it, getting, getting that left-back boxed off? Because I think people almost forgot that Milner was essentially Liverpool's only left-back because Moreno was so uh, so sparse in his, in his appearances last season. So, you know, the, the squad is starting to, to, to bloom a little bit, it's starting to develop a little bit and, you know, do you, do you think Robinson's going to be a Robinson's going to be a, a decent acquisition? Yeah, I think he's a good fit in terms of you know he's he's, he's very attacking. I think he'll he'll make the most of those you know the opportunities he gets to, to venture forward. And you know, we've seen under Klopp, you know you, you know his fullbacks he relies on so much to provide the width and and quality from from wide areas. So I think you know I think when you look at it, you know he was he 23 years of age, a Scotland international. Um, you know, had, had a good season with Hull. You know, I think you can understand why Liverpool have, have gone for him. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, you, we, we can't claim that he's always been the first choice because he hasn't. You know, I think ideally Klopp wanted young Ryan Sessegnon at Fulham. He would have been the, the perfect one in terms of a, a really gifted youngster that would have been one for the future. But I think, you know, it, it might it might work out for the better in terms of this coming season because Robertson is certainly more more ready, I'd say, to, to come in and and play. I think the interesting thing is, be, you know, whether he does, whether he does come straight into the side, or or whether Milner keeps his place. I've got, I've got a suspicion that Milner may well uh, stay there for the time being, because you know, although you know, I think that will certainly divide supporters. I think I think Klopp was actually pretty happy with uh, you know with, with the way that Milner played in that 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 and you know, adjusted to that role last season. And uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if. If he continues there, but I think I think in terms of fee as well, it's it's very smart business when you know to get to get someone of that of that age with that experience for pretty much the same money that is coming back the other way for Kevin Stewart um, is you know I, you know that, I, there's absolutely no doubt that Liverpool have got the uh, the, the, the better end of the, uh, the bargain there. James, before we before we let you go, we're just wondering what your highlights been so far of, of being in, in Hong Kong. Bear in mind that we're not counting Mackies at half two in the morning, as you told us all on social media. I can't believe you've gone all the way to Hong Kong and gone to McDonald's for your tea. That's just wrong. Do you know, do, do you know what? The, I, I, um, I, this is this is outrageous. Don't try and justify it. Because I, I, me and me and Adam, our, our videographer, is over here. We're roaming the streets. We didn't leave the stadium till two o'clock in the morning. Took us an hour, an hour to walk back from the ground because there was no taxis. The uh, and at three o'clock in the morning, there, there was only one option, and that was the twenty-four <laughs> hour McDonald's, which which I just happened to be sharing with about twenty uh, Hong Kong locals who were asleep on the table. <laughs> so, Had you been talking with them? <laughs> so uh, so no, I'm hoping to find something a little bit more authentic tonight because this is uh, this is a slightly slower day on the tour with um, Liverpool only holding the one session today, which is a 
a closed session and then the players are off to do loads of different uh, sponsors' events. And, you know, I think Jordan Henderson's off to the Nike store and various other players have to go and shake hands with people from Standard Chartered and Carlsberg and New Balance. So, um, so yeah, and then I think it will crank up again tomorrow. There's open training tomorrow um, and then another another Klopp press conference ahead of that, that final against Leicester City on Saturday. Right, Jay, I think uh, that'll do us. We'll let you go and uh, have your tea now. Find somewhere <laughs> a bit more appropriate to be eating, I think. <laughs> right. I will do. I'm off to KFC. <laughs> <laughs> right. See you, Jay. Cheers, mate. See you, See you now. James Pearce there, live from Hong Kong. He's not so, really, you know, he's in the room next to <laughs> Don't give away our secrets. <coughs> uh, James then mentioned about Prana, you asked about Cater. I mean, what's your take on what's going on? I'm a little bit bemused, to be honest. I mean, um, if Jurgen Klopp rates him that highly, um, I think Liverpool should just go in with, you know, the kind of offer that Leipzig, you say can't refuse, they've refused, you know, considerable offers now, but... If he rates him that highly, so be it. You know, so just make an absolutely ludicrous offer that you know is going to turn their heads and get the lad on board. Uh, but I still think the priority has got to be a central defender because uh, I'm far from convinced um, at the the robust nature of the two that you know appear to be his first choice. Uh, James, he was you know talking about how well Clavan did last year. Well, I missed that. I'm afraid uh, whenever I saw him play, yeah, he, he looked ordinary at best. And then Joe Gomez is, you know, still a bit of an unknown quantity because, again, because of his fitness issues. So, you know, massive, you know, um, question marks over that area of the pitch. What Liverpool need is, you know, somebody with absolute stature and reliability. We thought they had one lined up in Virgil van Dijk. And, you know, we still hope that maybe, you know, something can be resurrected there. Uh, But that's going to be a priority and that's going to be addressed sooner rather than later because... Still only got, was it, three or four pre-season friendlies left before, as James, he says, that Champions League qualifier is massive. And uh, Liverpool can't really afford to go into the season, you know, with a couple of question marks hovering over the squad. Quite often, you know, managers will leave it until uh, towards the end of the transfer window, a couple of weeks into the season. But with the qualifiers taking place so early, you can't really afford to do that. So uh, that, for me, is the, is the big priority, much more so than Naby Keita. Saying, Christian, the, the Van Dyke trail has gone very quiet in that respect, but by all accounts, Van Dyke is the only centre that Liverpool are interested in. Yeah, I, I don't think the Van Dyke trail going quiet is necessarily a bad thing, to be honest. Um, I, I, I think the problem with the Van Dyke deal originally and why it all went wrong was because... It was it very was, loud. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... I, the fact that it's all gone very quiet on that front, I don't think is necessarily a bad, a bad, uh, a bad thing for Liverpool. And you can bet your bottom dollar if there are any negotiations or anything like that going on, then uh, Van Dijk will be tight-lipped, Southampton will be tight-lipped, and Liverpool will be tight-lipped. In terms of Keita, I think the thing with Keita is that he, from everything that you read about him, from everything that you, you see about him, he's meant to be this unique midfielder, isn't he? Someone who can both play defensively and offensively. You know, he's sort of a Mascherano and Iniesta rolled into one. You know, it's a ridiculous PR forum, but that's meant to be what he's what he's supposed to be like. But I think the other thing about Kayser is that I think Liverpool have seen a gap in the market here where there's no other team in for him at the minute for, for whatever reason. I think Klopp looked at him. Because <laughs> Bayern Munich, they've got him next summer. <laughs> well, 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 this is it, isn't it? Because yeah. next season, I wrote something last week that basically... I can certainly see Liverpool, you know, not getting the heater, and then come next summer, 
his release clause has been paid for forty eight million, and he's holding the Bayern Munich shirts, and he's buying. Well, Munich the thing is, his release clause could get met by anybody. Anybody um, could come, and so then he would literally just have a choice of the club. And you're right, because he, you know, further year down the line, well, who knows? Who knows? I know yeah. Liverpool dropped their interest in the who personally, but I don't think that would happen with Kater if the if the um, didn't get him this summer. In terms of alternatives, I think it boils down to the fact that. I think there are some to Kese, even though he is quite unique and he's got this skill set that everybody says no other midfielder in Europe has at the moment. I think you look at, say, Renato Sanchez, for example, ironically, at Bayern Munich. He moved there last summer. Seems like he's up for sale. AC Milan have been sniffing around. He's a he's another young number eight, if you will, who can who can dictate play. You've got a few others who, who you know Klopp can find. In terms of centre backs, who is there? And you know Liverpool are, Liverpool are obviously willing to spend big on Virgil Van Dijk, but after that, is there, is there anyone there who will come into into the Premier League? I always think it's harder for centre backs to bed in the central midfielders, and I think that's probably yeah. in the back of Klopp's mind. Would he want to go to La Liga? It's not really a market that he shops in anyway. Well, the thing about centre backs is that who, what is a centre back these days? Yeah. Because I see Van Dijk, having seen him a few times watching Southampton, is that he's he's a footballer first, sure. and then he's a, then he's a centre back because he can just go into midfield. I mean, I saw him play against Everton last season, where yeah. at one point, even though he was playing centre back, he was like. Getting up to the edge of the area, having shots and playing one two inside he's, the area. He's almost like an Alan Hansen for the modern age. Yeah, I mean, Kukula Bali is, is the one that people mm-hmm. often talk about over in Napoli. But again, the point you make there about centre halves coming into the uh, Premier League and settling, as Man City found out last season, you know, it, it, it can be very, very difficult. It's such a, an intense league um, that it's very, very difficult for people to settle quickly. And so it is always a guess. Uh, a risk and a gamble uh, picking somebody from outside, which is why Van Dyke ticked so many boxes, you know, because he's proved he can, you know, so I handle it. So yeah, it's it's a tough one, but you know, it is such an absolute priority position. Liverpool need to get it right. I mean, I asked James about when do you think the cut-off point is over Cater. Mm. I mean, do you think it, we've also got to bear in mind that these teams that don't want to sell these players, they may behind the scenes go, oh, well, we're probably going to have to get rid of him in terms of he doesn't want to play for us anymore, we'll probably get the best money we can for him. But they're also looking for replacements, aren't they? So that could be part of it, because they don't want to be left. You know, they could be in pocket, but, but out of you know a, a key member of a squad at the start of the season. They could be at the moment, though. All the noise is coming from Leipzig, as they are absolutely not selling. And the suggestion that the lad himself isn't the type that's going to kick up a fuss, is going to go on strike, is going to down tools, um, you know, the, the various techniques that you know players that use to get out of football clubs... And, you know, let's, let's face it, it's a very, very exciting season for Leipzig, you know, embarking on their own you know, Champions League campaign. So it's not exactly that he's going to be, you know, I don't know, sulking there. You know, he's got a very, very exciting season to look forward to. So I think Liverpool may have to admit defeat, you know, sometime sooner rather than later on this one. It's interesting with Leipzig as well, because if before this summer, if you would have said, oh, I'll be Leipzig, I think people would have gone, it's not the team that everyone in Germany hates. <laughs> And that was their PR, basically. That was their reputation. But now they they've put themselves on on the top table of European football. Here, they 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 seem like a big player because they're playing such hardball over Keita. They they they're trying to cultivate this idea that they are a big it's, player in European football. And the way they're behaving, you you've got to say but, that they're doing it successfully. Matt, is there? A, I mean, you mentioned then they're, they're quite a young team, aren't they? A young club. They've only been going for like ten years, mm. I think. Certainly under the. Since Red, yeah. Red, Bull, Red Bull, who took over, who are now not RB. What does RB stand for now? Uh, Rassen Ball Sport. Something like that. <laughs> right. right. Red but Bull to me. <laughs> is this going to work against them a little bit? Because if they make a big fuss of not allowing Cater to leave and Forsberg as well, 
is that players who want to go to them will probably think, well, I can't really use these as a stepping stone so much because then when I want to go to a bigger club, which, let's be honest, most of these, like Liverpool, Barcelona, anyone like that has got better prestige and heritage than, than Leipzig, they make it incredibly difficult for them. It's almost like you were eavesdropping on my conversation <laughs> with Andy Kelly yesterday <laughs> in the office. No, but it's, it's, it's true. It's, that's a very cynical way of looking at it. But that's just, no, but that's I, think, I think it is. I think there comes a point where Leipzig... Despite the protestations that they are, they are not a selling club, and they're here to bloody the nose of Bayern Munich in the way that Klopp did with Dortmund like six, seven years ago. Despite that, it's the the, the established order in in the Bundesliga is what it is. It's Bayern Munich and everybody else. Now the only the only way you can sort of get close to Bayern Munich is to buy low, sell high, and then buy low again, and. But they don't need to do that because they've got loads of money anyway, haven't they? They have got loads of money, but it's still that you know. It's not very not good got... business, right? It's not a very good business model to just not sell these kind of players when somebody comes in for, with a ridiculous bid because if you're still trying to build from nothing, it still costs an awful lot of money, doesn't it? Especially if you are going to be competing in the Champions exactly, League. Exactly, exactly. So it's a case of, in terms of Leipzig, that there does have to become a point, and so maybe maybe this is a mistake by them and Rangnick and, and whatnot, but. I think Leipzig people would see a move to Leipzig as a as a way to to move to Bayern in a couple of years' time, for example, or or, or a club like that, um, Juventus, whoever, you know, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham. Um, so they could be cutting off the nose despite the face here, but at the same time, I think what happened with Dortmund and the reason why Dortmund aren't the force that they once were under Klopp is that they made the mistake of then sort of starting to sell those players to primarily buy and you've got Lewandowski you've got um, Goethe uh, there was somebody else yeah, Hummels as well went there and that sort of not only did it hurt them in terms of the team but it hurt them in terms of reputation and, and, and how people viewed them in Germany I think I think Leipzig fancy themselves to have another couple of years running at Bayern before they fall back into place and yeah, start it's, selling. It's, it's funny actually, it's cyclical football and you do, you get this example happening over and over again in European football. Uh, it happens with Porto, you know, in the Mourinho era, it happened with Villarreal, uh, where they're new kids on the block and they're making massive noises in Europe and people you know, sit up and take notice and they initially keep hold of those players for a season or two. But they can never ever resist, you know, sort of the pull from the established, you know, elite. Like you've just said, your Juventus, your Bayern Munich, your Madrid, your Barcelona's, and they always, always end up losing those best players. And Naby Keita will, you know, end up leaving, you know, Leipzig. Maybe not this summer, but you know, so one or two years down the line. And chances are, it will be to one of the established hierarchy. And you know, Liverpool clearly are in that elite. They haven't been in terms of achievement in the last few years, but you know, if they can have a good campaign in the Champions League. Rejoin that elite, you know, who knows? Well, I was going to say, do you think that perhaps Leipzig see themselves on a par with Liverpool in the respect of they've both not been in the Champions League? Well, they've not been in the Champions League. But the point is, Liverpool, over the past seven or eight years, they've sold their place to Real Madrid, to Barcelona, you know, to teams like that, to Chelsea, Torres, you know, these teams that are at another level, certainly in terms of performances on the pitch. So, Leipzig might go, hang on, why are we selling to, to Liverpool? We see them as, you know, th- we're in the Champions League. They've got to go through a qualifying round. Yeah, they might see themselves as being on a par, but, you know, it's, it's in terms of heritage and structure and achievements, you know, five you know, European Cups, you know, indicates why Liverpool are on a different level altogether and, you know, why they will, you know, continue to cover players like Keita in the near future. Totally accept the arguments about, you know, the absolute best players moving on to Madrid and Barcelona in recent years. There's not much you can do about that, you know, when those two clubs come call, come calling. 
But, you know, Liverpool certainly on a different level to Leipzig, I would suggest. You can see why Leipzig are doing this, by the way. It's easy to forget that this time last year, they hadn't had a Bundesliga campaign. They'd just been promoted. <laughs> so they've come up from the second division in Germany, finished second, had a really good go at the Bundesliga. They, they, they're, they're riding the crest of a wave at the moment. They don't want to then, you know, cut that from underneath from underneath the, the squad and, and start selling them off. Do you, do you kind of admire what they're doing in terms of just being so steadfast Well, I don't see if it's any different to what Liverpool, Liverpool did over with Luis Suarez with, with Arsenal and, and, and whoever that summer. I think the difference there is that Suarez decided he wanted to go and then he kind of got taught round eventually, even though Liverpool did put him out. Uh, I think he was, he was banished from training with the, the squad when they were out in America. I think Australia, Australia, was, Australia was, yeah. sorry, yeah. I, do, I, I admire it. It doesn't help Liverpool in any way, shape or form. The way I see it, I, I don't know. Unless they have a change of heart along the lines of what we said before in terms of, oh, hold on, this isn't, you know, we, do we really want to be that sort of club? This might hurt us getting the next Navi Keita in in a couple of years' time. What you've got to remember, though, as well there is that they've obviously got a, a direct line to Red Bull Salzburg, and that's where Keita came from. And they've just signed somebody from there who looks, but for all intents and purposes, is a 21 year old. I think he's a Mali international holding midfielder, it seems like they've already got their next case in there. Um, unless that happens, unless they realise maybe this isn't the best long-term for us, or unless the player kicks up a fuss, or unless Liverpool really do go, they have got a you know a threshold and they think, well, if we just eke out a little bit more, 80 million euros, let's say, we'll go for it. I don't see it happening. So it's going to be interesting to see which one of those contributing factors blinks first, if any. I think it might be the money. Prano, you, it's easy to forget you mentioned the fact that Liverpool have already broken their transfer record this summer with uh, Mohamed Salah. And since we did our last podcast, he's, he's actually played for Liverpool. I mean, what have you made of the initial impact that he's made, the impression that he's he's made, other than he's really fast? <laughs> he's, he's made a very, very bright impact and he will be a valuable addition to the squad. It was in an area of the pitch that Liverpool, you could argue, didn't really need um, any extra strength in depth. You know, so given... Last season, you know, all the other quality was in the final third and the problems were at the other end of the pitch. Um, but given the demands of the Champions League campaign, you know, you need that, you know, the extra bodies. I mean, Liverpool season turned on its head last season when Sadio Mane left for the African Cup of Nations. And, you know, having a Salah available at that time, although he'd have been involved as well, <laughs> having an extra player available um, at that time of the year would have been, you know, sort of a massive difference. Um, so no, he's made a very, very bright impression again, which underlines, you know, so you know why are they, you know, so keen on bringing Cater in. I know he's not strictly speaking, you know, a front three player, but you know that that part of the pitch. Uh, but no, it's been a great addition. As has Dominic Solanke. Um, quite interesting stuff from James, which should be on the site later today about uh, how Jurgen Klopp had to be convinced into buying him. But we'll let you read that later on. Um, so yeah, a couple of very, very good additions so far, but two isn't really a great deal uh, at this stage of the summer and given the fact that you know a couple of pre-season games have already been played Champions League draw isn't too far away you know so more bodies are needed you know sooner rather than later I think Salah can transform Liverpool's attack even further to be honest I think when you think about what Liverpool offered last season Mane was unplayable at times but it was also he wasn't easy to defend against but if you're an opposition manager you're thinking well the pace is only coming down that one side so we'll know exactly how to deal with this and then you'd have obviously Coutinho on the left for most of the season. If you've got Mane on one side and Salah on the other, for example, how, how are you going to defend against that? And, you, and you, the, the, the interesting thing about both of those and something that I didn't realise about Mane before he came to Anfield and something 
I've already started to see with Salah is that they can play inside. They can, they can really pop off little passes, little two-yard passes, you know, give and goes, tight tight space. They're really good at sort. They could both play as number 10s if they wanted to. And that sort of thing with the overlapping fullbacks as well is really going to create problems for Liverpool's opponents this season. Well, I was going to disagree respectfully with uh, my learned friend David Prentice <laughs> over what he thinks Liverpool's no, problem was last respectfully season. Respectfully makes a change. <laughs> yes, is that that January when Mane wasn't there, Liverpool actually just forgot how to score. And that, yeah. was, that was part of the problem. It was since when he went, Liverpool were just left with nowhere near the same kind of threat. And I think that's the reason why they've got somebody in like Salah. It, it isn't so much to, you know, deputise for him, yeah. but it's to just add something different. And also, if there is that situation where one of them's missing, you'd be unlucky if both of them are missing. It's just pace as well, isn't it? I mean, Casey's got pace and Van Dijk's got pace. I mean, I think that's probably an understated thing about this transfer yeah. window and what Klopp wants, but although you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, that centre-back's quick, that central midfielder's quick, both of those have got a burst of, of pace on them as well. I think he recognised towards the end of last season, especially in those grim 1-0s, 2-1s. That's nothing grim with a 1-0 win. certainly isn't, but compared to what they were doing with Manny and the team, they needed that little injection of patience. It's something that you know Klopp seems to identify you know very early on in all of his targets, and it's not just the obvious benefits it gives you away from home, the ability to you know sort of turn a game very very quickly. Again, it plays into this pressing high up the pitch model, you know, where you, if you can close down uh, defenders very very quickly, you've got more chance of you know creating opportunities very quickly, and they do that you know as well as. Spark and counter attacks very, very quickly. They win the ball back very quickly as well. I mean, one final thing that we will mention, talk about now, is uh, Liverpool have kind of suggested, certainly, uh, we ran a story the other day about they're going to open the debate, or certainly opens the debate on rail seating and yeah. whether or not that should be coming to Anfield. I know that it's something that a lot of other clubs are talking about. I can't remember which club was it that said they're going to try it. Celtic have it already yeah. in a little section up in, up in Scotland. I mean, obviously, it's a very emotive subject on Merseyside, certainly amongst Liverpool supporters. Do you think it's one, Prenner, that we at least should be having? I don't know. Um, I'm of an age, obviously, where I lived through Hillsborough. remember it, you know, as if it was yesterday. And whatever the Hillsborough families want, you know, has to be adhered to. They don't want, you know, rail seating or any form of safe standing. So I don't think it should happen, you know, as long as, you know, they're, you know, of that mind. Um, I understand that the debate is to open it up to the supporters and to find out what they want. I know football grounds have changed dramatically um, you know, so since those days, but equally there are still so many families that are still grieving and are still you know, very, very, I don't know, hurts not the word to use, uh, you know, still living you know, what happened on that day today. They don't want safe standing, so I don't think it should even be addressed. Um, that's my take on it. Christian, I mean, is it a generational thing then? Because obviously I don't think you'd be old enough to remember standing on the on the cop or no. the away ends. I mean, I know... You used to make your back ache after half yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't particularly comfortable, but no. there is the argument that it did generate a better atmosphere and obviously rail seating is a world apart, as Preno said, from the old style standing. And the thing is, you know, you can't argue what Dave just said there. It is a very, very sensitive issue and, and you know, Hillsborough families what they say should be adhered to and, and you've got to be very careful you don't want to certainly you know ever go against them in that sense but the club have said that they're going to listen to fans now um, they have also always said that they would adhere to whatever the Hillsborough families wished as well mm, so it's yeah I'm, I'm not too sure where that's going to go um, I think the meeting on Saturday isn't it and so uh, in terms of you know you, you stand 
in an away end you stand nowadays anyway and it's 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 i think it'd be a bit safer if there was rail seating there than, than not i think i've been in a couple of away ends in my younger days um before this was my vocation and you know you'd end up with your you someone scores a goal and you'd end up with your, with your back arched against a, a plastic seat or you you go wake up the next morning you'd have bruises all over your face. so i can certainly see why people want the rail seating as well um not just because of the atmosphere i think i think that's the thing in terms of, i think too many people maybe focus on the idea or oh, it generate really good atmosphere imagine standing with your friends and all that i think it's just it's safer than standing in an all-seater stadium. You know, these stadiums have been built now, designed to stand, to sit. Um, and, you know, such is the way it's it developed. Nobody, well, certainly on away games, nobody does. So, you know, it's a safety issue as well nowadays in terms of... Maybe, it's, a, maybe it's an educational issue that, you know, the, the people, the advocates of rail seating need to actually educate, you know, the people, you know, the Hillsborough families, people like myself, yeah. Um, you know, so why rail seating is so completely different to old style terraces? Well, and, you do you know, think um, it's interesting? It's called rail seating. It's well, not I was called just about to say, it's not called well, rail seating. Uh, I think safe standing, stand, yeah. safe standing puts a lot of people off, and rightly so. Yes, I think yeah. when they originally suggest that previous standing was unsafe, was unsafe exactly, which, which has been no. which it was. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you look at sort of the model in Germany, then you know they have a lot of rail seating, don't they? And and, and that seems to, to be okay. Um, Celtic, there doesn't seem to be any problems. I think that I think the the main issue, yes, it would help atmosphere uh, in a football ground, and that's we don't have an issue with atmosphere in this country, though, do we? You know, atmospheres generally are very good. Uh, you haven't been at <laughs> Anfield at a three pm against uh, yeah. against West Brom. But then well, that suggests that every single game in the past, when everybody, well, a lot of people standing up, was great. Rose into glasses, uh, yeah. You know, I'm sure a lot of games in the eighties it was played to, yeah. to silence as well. Um, but well, I, I a lot think of the attendances were quite low. Of course, they were twenty odd thousand for midweek games, yeah. but. At the same time, I do think rail seating can be a safer option at the moment. I think that should uh, do us then. Join us next week where we'll have James back with us on Merseyside because don't don't listen to what Christian's saying. He definitely is in Hong Kong at the moment. And he's going to Germany next week, so it might be to get him on the phone again. We'll get him on there then. (laughs) Right, cheerio. See you soon.